The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Vinny Politan, and welcome to the Court TV Podcast. We have another episode of our ongoing true crime original series, Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall, for you this week. This episode entitled The Puppet Master, and thankfully, it's a story where the man behind the crime not only didn't get away with it, but didn't achieve his ultimate goal of killing Boca Raton mother of three, Heather Grossman. Heather and her husband John survived the shooting and were immediately able to identify the person responsible, Heather's ex-husband, Ron Samuels. Here is Heather's story featuring interviews with prosecutor Alan Johnson, defense attorney Alexander Brumfield, People Magazine's Steve Helling, Judge Lucy Chernow-Brown, and Heather Grossman's three children. Someone they knew with Tamron Hall, the puppet master. This is the Court TV Podcast. Heather Grossman and John Grossman both were adamant. They knew who did this. They knew who was responsible for this. There was no one else that had that kind of animus toward Heather Grossman. The city of Boca Raton sits about halfway between West Palm Beach and Miami along Florida's east coast. It's known for its beaches, its golf courses, and its wealth. But on October 14, 1997, it also became known as the place where Heather Grossman was shot in broad daylight while heading out to lunch with her husband, John. I got a call from John, my husband. He said, let's have lunch. So I got in the passenger seat and we were talking on the way. We were gonna go to Flagowitz and it's a restaurant in Boca. And then he says, let's go to that new Thai place. So we made a U-turn and we're headed to the Thai place and we stopped at a light and I you know, just looked down and tried to get something out of my briefcase and when I came up, I was shot. Heather was riding, she was in the passenger seat, driving down the street, and they stopped at a stoplight, and somebody pulled up and shot at her, and then drove off. John Grossman wasn't really injured. It, he, was, he was fine, but she had gotten struck by a bullet. When the first round was shot, it went through the rear window of Heather and John's car and uh, directly into uh, Heather Grossman's neck from behind. Oh, the shot at what? 
He shot somebody in a car twice with a rifle out the window. The shooter was behind John and Heather's car, so they never knew it was coming. They had no idea. I remember feeling something at my, the back of my neck, and then I, it felt like my body was slowly, like, shutting down. And I remember just kind of trying to yell for help, and nothing would come out. You know, I found out my husband told me I fell on his lap, and, and then I, there was no response, so I died. Yeah, I need to know if a person was shot or... Sorry, someone was definitely shot. Someone was definitely shot? Yeah. Okay, I've already set the call. We're getting help on the way. I opened my eyes, and the paramedic asked me, can you hear me? If you can, blank. And I blanked, and then, you know, I passed out again. It was a day that changed Heather Grossman's life forever. It was a day that she became a quadriplegic. The first thing was I didn't wake up for a couple of days. And, you know, by the time I did, the first thing I asked about was my children. I was wondering who picked the children up from school. That's my first thought. I couldn't speak at that time. And they said, okay, close both your eyes for yes and one for no and then not being able to move your body and not being able to speak. It was, it was terrifying for me to imagine my life like that. At first, everybody wanted to know, is this some random shooting? What, what's this about? Heather Grossman and John Grossman both were adamant. They knew who did this. They knew who was responsible for this. They knew in their heart, they knew in their mind. There was no one else that had that kind of animus toward Heather Grossman. On October 14, 1997, a green Ford Thunderbird pulls up next to Heather and John Grossman's Lincoln at a busy intersection in Boca Raton, Florida. Suddenly, a gunman fires two shots from the back seat the first blows a fist-sized hole in the back of Heather's neck, leaving her a quadriplegic. The second grazes John's chin. Someone wanted Heather and John dead, and investigators had a lead. Many times, cases are solved, not only because of the good police work involved, and there was good police work involved in this case, but because of the stupidity of the criminals. So there was a citizen at that stoplight that wrote down the tag. They did not remove the license tag from the car. And so the police 
traced the car back to Hugh Estes. They found Hugh Estes and they began to poke around. They found uh, uh, Eddie Stafford. They took some statements and uh, it pointed them in the, in the right direction. Estes has uh, what appears to be a, a crack cocaine addiction. And if we go back to the time frame in that part of the 90s, that was all the rage. So Estes appears to have been a successful or had some success as a life insurance salesman. And his life kind of went in the, uh, the can with drug addiction. He associates with a, a drug dealer out of Fort Lauderdale by the name of Eddie. But Eddie uh, was his um, seller. In all of the, um, in all of the planning, well, you have a bunch of crackheads getting together planning is suspect, but you're the shooter, here's the gun, here's where we're going, we're gonna scope it out, we're gonna see where Heather and John go during lunch, we're gonna come back and we're gonna shoot them. Now, uh, I believe it was Roger Runyon, the shooter, was supposed to change out the tag, he did not do it. So obviously when the license plate was run, they started figuring out all these people that were involved because they should have just covered it up, and it would have been much harder for the cops to figure this one out. Ron Samuels emerged as a person of interest because of his relationship with Heather Grossman. Ron Samuels was a owner of a car dealership in Pensacola. It wasn't love at first sight, but I met him when I was working as a flight attendant. He actually got my telephone number from an agent. Ron Samuels was this millionaire businessman who did very well for himself. And he was one of those guys, first class, traveled a lot, nice car, nice house, nice everything. And he saw somebody who he liked. He just was extremely nice. And he spoiled me and we took lavish trips. He had a great gift of talk, and he was the consummate salesman. And I'm assuming that whether it was in personal relationships with uh, women or if it was in business, he used his tools. He had money. He wanted you to know that he had money. He wanted everybody to appreciate that he was richer than you, he was more successful than you, and he was more than happy to toot his own horn and to talk about himself. Our marriage changed shortly after the birth of my first son, Ronnie, and he became scary and controlling. He wanted to know where I was at all the time. And if I didn't answer my cell phone, he would get very upset. Ronald Samuels was a bully. Um, he was the type of person who had to have his way. And if he didn't get his way, he became angry and frustrated and struck out at whoever was in his path. Ron, at times, he would get so mad and so irate, he'd throw me against the wall and he'd make me cry, say horrible things, and the breaking point was when he held the gun to my head and he said, if you leave, I am going to kill you. I will make your life miserable. 
And I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> he wanted to hurt me. He wanted to take those kids away from me. And John and I were happy. But in the background, there was always the threat of what is Ron going to do next? Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. Ron Samuels had married Minnesota-born golden girl Heather Stevens in 1986. They had three children together, Ronnie, Joe, and Lauren. But by the early 1990s, their marriage was on the rocks, and Heather knew she'd had enough. She decided to move on. It was a bitter divorce. The divorce led to a very intricate and complex uh, child support, child custody battle. She fell in love with John Grossman, whose father was an owner of the Minnesota Vikings. And he was everything to her that her ex-husband was not. He was kind, he was loving, and she was really, she'd really fallen in love with this guy. The divorce was a nightmare. Ron didn't want it to happen. He did everything he could to continue to terrorize us. He wanted to hurt me. He wanted to take those kids away from me. And John and I were happy. But in the background, there was always the threat of what is Ron going to do next? The fact that he had to pay child support and the fact that he had visitation rights, but he wanted more caused him to go off the deep end to the point where he spent uh, over a quarter of a million dollars on attorney's fees so that he wouldn't have to pay $3,000 a month for child support. Even though Ron Samuels was worth $30 million, he was having issues with money with Heather, and he was just angry. Ron, Ron, I feel very bad for you. No, not as bad as you're going to feel. Not as bad. Why don't you show Ron, me I'm how tough you are? I'm this conversation. You're taking I'm not it? tough. I only care about the children. Right. You can lie all you okay. want, John. Buddy, tell him what he said. He said he's taping the Don't manipulate the children. My first thought was, Ron Samuels got me. There was no doubt. I was sitting in court in front of Judge Rasmussen, and I told him that Ron Samuels is $35,000 behind in child support, that we are getting death threats and calls in the middle of the night, and I fear that Ron Samuels is going to kill me. You want to pick my kid? Why? Because you're a cowardly, motherless son of a bitch. You're just a typical Jew bastard, aren't you? That's not very nice. No? You're Why the father. You? No, I want to see... the children? No, I care about what you put your hands on the 
the children. You know darn well I never put my hands on No, three of them here told me differently. I don't think that's true. You ever touch my kids, John? I don't touch your kids. You ever even say anything to them? Come on, you know better than that. No, I don't know better than that. There were several things that were happening at that time. Number one, there was a bitter custody dispute over the three children. He would not pay child support, and the judge was getting more and more angry to the point where he was going to be held in contempt. Number two, Heather had a million-dollar life insurance policy that was taken out by Ronald Samuels before they divorced. Motive number three, the judge was so angry with Ronald Samuels for failing to pay child support that the judge in North Florida cut off child visitation so he could not even see his children for six months. These things together in that sociopathic mind just built up to the point where he decided, conspired to kill his ex-wife. He went to the underbelly of society, got the worst unsavory crack addicts with no moral compass to do his dirty work, set it all up, through a, an intermediary, an insurance agent, friend of his by the name of Hugh Estes. Hugh Estes got other people. Roger Runyon, who was a National Guard a marksman, who became the shooter. And Eddie Stafford was the driver. The big fish was Ron Samuels, not these band of merry men that he had hired. So, you know, the cops approached them all at different times and got them to flip and they would get immunity for this case if they testified against Ron Samuels. It appears that in approximately May of 1998, uh, Mr. Samuels was alleged to have used a, a fake passport to leave the country. It's life or death for me. Mm -hmm. It really is. I mean, I'm really And I, I don't know what to do. I really don't. The investigation took about 10 months, and as they're coming to indict him, he goes to Mexico. <laughs> While in Mexico, uh, he made contact with his current wife, that's Miss Love, who'd agreed for her phone lines to be tapped. I need the 35,000, Debbie. Why? I need it in little bits and pieces. And I need a way to sneak across the border. Ron Samuels is caught in a drug trafficking shootout with the Federales in Mexico. He's taken into custody. Ron Samuels was arrested in, in Mexico with six kilos of cocaine in his trunk. And there he is sentenced, I think, to eight years in uh, a Mexican prison. Even when Ron was in jail in Mexico, we were still worried about him getting out because he had millions of dollars. He could have paid off the police in Mexico and just slipped out the back door. He is brought across the border, and he's transported back up to Palm Beach County, where there was a, an unserved indictment charging him with attempted first-degree murder of his wife and, of, at the time, 
uh, John Grossman. Barry Kushner, the state attorney, said, you know, it was very hard to get all of the four men that were involved in the shooting. And, you know, he said, we're going to have to give some of them immunity. There was no reason for anybody to take the fall for Ron Samuels. If they were being offered immunity, they were going to take it. The two of us decided that, you know, Ron Samuels was the one that needed to go to jail. And so we were not happy that they were not charged and they got immunity. But, you know, when it came down to it, it was Ron that planned this all and masterminded it and told each one of them just little parts of what they were supposed to do. Nine years passed between the attempted murder of Heather Grossman and the start of Ron Samuels' trial. Samuels had fled to Mexico, where he spent time in jail for drug trafficking before being extradited back to the U.S. in 2005. Heather and John Grossman divorced in 2004, and he died the following year. Now, in 2006, Heather would face Ron Samuels for the first time in almost a decade. Is everyone ready for uh, opening statements? Yes. The vibe in that courtroom was so intense. And I think the fact that all the security people were kind of on edge, expecting something to happen, and the emotional intensity of Ron Samuel's personality, which was totally focused on Heather. I was terrified to go in the courtroom and even see him because he had just made my life so miserable. Even after being locked up, he would look back, he would snark at me, he would smile. Ladies and gentlemen, Heather Grossman woke up the morning of October 14th, 1997 living the good life. By midday, Heather Grossman's life came crashing in around her with the sound of a rifle's report. Heather Grossman woke up today a quadriplegic. The defendant did that to her. No, he didn't pull the trigger. He wasn't the henchman. He was too clever for that. We were always aware of Ms. Grossman's presence in a courtroom by the sound of her breathing apparatus that was necessary for her to maintain life. Through me, through my office, I have entered a plea of not guilty. And by doing that, Mr. Samuels is saying that I did not commit the crimes that the state is alleging, that I am not guilty. Why has Barry Krischer given all these individuals a get out of jail free card? because John Grossman and Heather Grossman want Ronald Samuels to go to jail. Ronald Samuels was uh, at times overpowering, very arrogant, very self-centered. Despite being a court-appointed lawyer for him, he thought I was as if he was uh, paying me, you know, 
thousands of dollars an hour to represent him. Did uh, Ron Samuels involve you in, a, in his plans? Yes. Uh, did you assist him? Unfortunately, yes. Why? Um, a bad decision. And I was afraid of him. We did not have evidence to charge Ronald Samuels. Without the testimony of the co-conspirators, it was circumstantial at best. I mean, we had motive, but we didn't have the testimony to connect Ronald Samuels to this conspiracy. Now, what kind of terms would he use when he was referring to his ex-wife, Heather Grossman? What, and exactly as you remember it, what kind of terms would he use when he described her? Well, I can't say it probably. Sir, you can, and I'm asking you. know, uh, a whore, you know, uh, things like that. Not real very kind. Did Ronald Samuels want Heather dead? Yes, sir. He said, uh, find a shooter or you can do it yourself. Did uh, you take steps at this point to help Ron Samuels out and further his plan? Unfortunately, yes, I did. I introduced what? him to uh, uh, Sam Slim, Eddie Stafford. Sir, was your car used by Eddie Stafford and Roger Runyon on October 14th, 1997 to attempt to murder John and Heather Grossman? Yes, sir, it sure was. Based on the plan as you knew it, who was the primary target of that assassination? Attempt? Heather, Heather Grossman. It was a very unusual trial because there was the person on trial who was the reason for the crime. And then there were four people not on trial who were involved in the actual shooting. It was controversial in the community because people felt like he who does the shooting needs to be punished. Did there come a time when you became aware of a plot to kill a woman in Boca Raton? Yes. Uh, how did you become aware of this plot? Uh, through Hugh Estes. Did Hugh Estes approach you? Yes. Did there come a time when you met a man you later came to know as Ron Samuels? Yes. Where was that? Well, we met at a Denny's. What, if anything, did the defendant say at the meeting? He wanted, wanted her knocked off. And, um, <clears throat> and he, he, you know, he don't have all day. You know, we're not mean all day, but he wanted it done soon, you know. Okay, specifically uh, Ron Samuels. What did he speak about at this meeting? Um, well, it wasn't really so much what was said, it was what was directed. When Ron mentioned he wants his ex-wife taken care of, he made a motion of a gun in his hand. So he said the exact words, I want her taken care of? Yes. Did you believe that you were going to get paid a substantial sum of money for doing this? Oh, yes. At that time, definitely I did. And did you drive? Yes, I did. Who is Roger Runyon? Like uh, one of my guys, a flunky, my little do-boy. Uh, he used to hang around and do favors for me or run errands for me. Did you solicit Roger to help you carry out the defendant's contract on this woman? Yes, I did. And her husband? Yeah. I'll meet you in hell, you son of a I'll find you one way or the other. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel -gavel coverage.
catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. Ron Samuels put together a gang that consisted of three crack addicts, Hugh Estes, whose car was used in the shooting, Eddie Slim Stafford, the driver, and Roger Runyon, the former National Guard marksman who fired the gun. The fourth member of Ron's team was Jeffrey Pollock, the son of a friend who ran errands for him. But the prosecution said that the mastermind, the one Judge Brown would refer to as the puppet master, was Ron Samuels. You used your own money or your your own money to buy my, a plane my, ticket? My mother bought me a plane ticket. And why did you buy a plane ticket to go back to Florida? To confess what I'd done. Um, did uh, the police inform you that you had a right to a lawyer? Yes. Uh, did you have a lawyer? No. Did you ask for a lawyer? No. Why not? I didn't need a lawyer for what I'd done. I was. I was ready to be punished for, for what I had done. Um, I came here with uh, maybe one pair of pants, a shirt, not in a suitcase, and a trash bag. What was that? I wasn't expecting to go home. Roger Runyon was kind of the Indiana farm boy that ends up in South Florida. I think he had military background. And he, too, gets caught up in the drug addiction. I uh, stuck the weapon out the passenger side of the car and aimed for the headrest on the passenger seat because I knew that she was in the passenger seat. You put that rifle out the window and you fired that bullet? Yes. To the back of the passenger seat? Yes. Put that rifle outside the window again, did you? Yes. Fired another bullet. Yes. In my 27 years of practicing, I've never seen a shooter, a person who put the bullet in someone's skull, get a free ride. It just doesn't happen. I'll meet you in hell, you son of a I'll find you one way or the other. Mr. Samuels, I'm going to talk to you now, and I don't want you saying anything. Ron Samuels was extremely arrogant, but his main motivation always seemed to be to take control. I do not want you to be gagged in front of the jury, but I will not give you another warning. He was a person that needed to be in control. And of course, as the judge, I'm in control of the courtroom. Eddie asked you, did you want to make some money? Yes. He did not tell you at the time not what you had to do to make that money, did he? Not at first. After that, you learned it was, in fact, to kill someone. Yes, it was to kill her. You never got any money for this, did you? No. Not one dime? No. We had four uh, star witnesses who were unsavory characters who were part of this conspiracy. We had the shooter. And here you stand here today because of a deal that was given to you. 
I believe so, yes. You were given immunity for your testimony here today? I was given immunity for telling the truth. You've got a person who has admitted to shooting Heather Grossman. Uh, all of those people are getting immunity. And from a criminal defense perspective, uh, practicing here in Palm Beach County, I have never seen a situation where each and every person received immunity except for one. John and I really did not want the shooter to get immunity. But we needed Ron. You know, we knew he had to be locked up because continually he would try to hurt us. Deborah Love, L-O-V-E. His second wife was Debbie Love. And Debbie Love was the secretary to divorce firm that was handling divorce for Ron Samuels. What statements do you recall being made in the presence of one or more of your friends? That she was a that she was a gold digger, that she took his money, that she was mean to the children. Uh, she didn't take care of the children, and that all she cared about was herself. Did the defendant ever indicate that he wished ill of heaven? Yes, he did. In what manner? What words did he say? That bitch should be dead. Wish she was dead. She needs to be dead. Somebody needs to kill the We need to get rid of her. I would have predicted that the defense attorneys would not want him to testify, thinking that if he didn't testify, he had a better chance of acquittal. But he was going to testify no matter what, because he wanted to be in charge. Did you go to a Denny's and meet with USD's Jeffrey Pollack and Eddie Stafford, also known as Slim or Sam? No. It was Ron's decision to go and testify. He wanted to testify. I don't believe I wanted him to, to tell the story. Did you ever ask USDs to kill your wife, your former wife? No. Did you ever give him $20,000 and ask him to kill your wife? No, I never gave him $20,000 and asked him to kill my wife. Did you give him any amount of money and asked him to kill your wife? No, I wouldn't want anything like that to happen to her. Did you ever at the Townsend Mall ask Eddie Stafford or offer Eddie Stafford uh, a car and some money? I have never met Eddie Stafford. Where were you when you heard about Miss Grossman being shot? In the car. I was told that, uh, that Heather and John died. I wanted to know where the children were if they weren't in the car. Do you know a Tom Jordan? Yes, I do. Did you ever have a driver's license in Tom Jordan's name? No, not a driver's license. Did you ever have a passport in Tom Jordan's name? No, there's never been a passport but he was a good friend of mine. And I had opened some accounts before he passed away in some friends' names and other people's names. Why would you have his credit report on March of 1998? I was eventually going to become him and take my kids if necessary. 
And, and in criminal cases, the ultimate say is the defendant. And he made a decision and he got on the stand and he had to, you know, suffer through cross-examination. You had said, I never wanted Heather to be like this. Remember saying that? I never did. And you never wanted Heather to be a quadriplegic, did you? I never wanted her to be dead either. That's exactly what you wanted her to be, sir. Dead. He had sold a lucrative car dealership. He was a wealthy, wealthy man. It was spite. There's no other reasonable explanation. Mr. Sanders, do you have anything to do with the shooting of Mr. Grossman? I did not. Did you have anything to do with the shooting of Mrs. Grossman? I did not. Ron Samuels was facing life in prison for the attempted murder of his wife, Heather Grossman, and her then-husband, John. Between sworn testimony from the co-conspirators and phone records corroborating their statements, the evidence was pointing to Ron Samuels being the one who called the shots. Ronald Samuels is the cause of this brutal act, this cowardly act. And you must hold him accountable. Did he have a motive to have this done? Was he frustrated, angry, and upset? You bet he was. So the defense was is that there was no connection between Ron Samuels and the actual two people that carried out the, the crime, Slim and Roger Runyon. Make no mistakes, John Grossman was controlling this prosecution, and John Grossman wanted Ron Samuels to go to jail. They have been given a license to lie, the proverbial get out of jail free card. Make no mistakes, Ronald Samuels is an arrogant, obnoxious, flashy, controlling person. He's always been, and he always will be. Ronald Samuels is not guilty, not because I say it, but because the evidence that they've produced does not support it. Thank you. These, these were bad people. Mr. Estes was a guy that may have been, at one point in his life, good, but he was, he was as in the street as Slim and Roger Runyon. And I went after that, and they were doing what they had to do to make sure that they were never going to get charged. I submit that there is not even a speculative or mere possibility of the fact that this guy is not guilty. He is guilty, 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 all eight charges. We have to go on whether it's a guilty or a not guilty or a hung jury. We do our job and we go home at night and we, uh, and we do it again the next day. versus Ronald Samuels, defendant. Verdict. We, the jury, find as follows. As to count one, victim Heather Grossman, we find the defendant guilty of attempted first-degree murder with a firearm as charged in the indictment. As to count two, victim John Grossman, we find the defendant guilty of attempted second-degree murder with a firearm, a lesser-included offense as contained in the indictment.
When that verdict came in and Ron Samuels was found guilty in the courtroom and in the courthouse, there was a sense of justice. It's over. There is no more torture. There's no more fear. I can sleep at night knowing that this man will not harm us ever again. All up and down the corridors, people stood up and clapped for Heather. When the verdict came back, I was overjoyed. After waiting nine years, it was a blessing to hear guilty, guilty, guilty. He still to this day has never owned up to or taken responsibility for anything that he's done. I would appreciate him saying and really meaning, I did this and I'm sorry. So for me, I think I would be totally fine, you know, never seeing him again. I would hope you would sentence him to life in prison so that I don't have to live in fear anymore and that Lauren, Ronnie, and Joseph do not have to live in fear anymore. I'm sorry that Heather has such bitterness in her heart. And irrespective of the decision of the, the jury, for the sake of my three children, I'd still like them to know, Ronnie, Joe, and Lauren, that this is not something that I did. Is there, defense counsel, any legal reason why sentence should not be imposed at this time? Okay. The defense did nothing but point out that these four people should not be believed and, and they were the people that actually committed the crime. But as I said to Ron Samuels when I sentenced him, not one of these four people would have harmed a hair on Heather Grossman's head, except for you, pulling the strings, being the puppet master. Life in prison is the appropriate sentence, and I now impose that sentence as to count one. It is emotional having to look someone in the eyes and tell them that they are going to prison and never coming out. It's not easy. Harder for him than for me, though. This was even beyond the ultimate crime because it left a woman as a quadriplegic forever. Shortened, certainly shortened her lifespan, but I know how Heather Grossman lives, and she's a strong woman, and she's been able to survive. She's a survivor. It's a miracle that my mom is alive. It's a miracle that doctors were um, right next to the scene. It's a miracle that my mom has lived 24 years up to this point. It's a miracle that I got to uh, have my first dance at my wedding with my mom. You know, my mom has inspired all of us to make sure we live life to the fullest. And I think all three of us have done a really good job. We're all so thankful that um, we made it this far because I don't think a lot of people would have been able to persevere and succeed with the hand of cards we were dealt. I refuse to be 
a victim because I'm a survivor. Even though I was shot, I'm still alive today and I'm able to live my life to the best of my ability. And I was able to raise my children. You know, the doctors gave me seven years to live with my level as a quadriplegic and it's been 24 years. Ron Samuels is currently serving life plus 120 years in a Florida prison. Heather Grossman wrote a book about her life and continues to be an advocate for victims' rights. I'm Tamron Hall. Thank you for watching Someone They Knew. Incredible story. And you can see all of it play out in the courtroom for the trial of Ron Samuels on demand on the Court TV website. Just look for the link in the show notes. In the meantime, don't forget to join me every evening on Court TV for closing arguments where we break down the biggest legal stories of the day and tune in for new episodes of Someone They Knew with Tamron Hall every Sunday night at 9 p.m. Eastern. I'm Benny Politan. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.